coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. But seeing those bears up close, I really got a sense for the emotion on these bears. You know, there's this one bear, his name was Moon. And, and he was very kind of, you know, brute force. He'd run up and scratch as quickly as he could and whack it like a big soccer ball, whack it back like a big soccer ball. There's another bear, much smaller. Her name was Sunny. And she would come up much slower, sniff it, back off, come in, come out. And then and then she'd just very quickly kind of move around, not even really trying to get in, but just kind of analyze. She'd look at it. Bears have amazing eyesight. That was Grant Breitenbach with some insight into bear behavior, bear stories, national parks, and food. My favorite subject, all of this and more today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. You can follow the show right now if you are using Apple Podcasts. The easy way to do that is to uh, click that little plus button in the upper right-hand corner of the app you're using, and you will be assured to get that next episode delivered right to your phone. Today's episode is, of course, sponsored by Bear Vault. Bear Vault has the perfect solution to keep your provisions secure while heading into the backcountry. Bear Vault keeps wild adventure going strong all year long. Head over to Bear Vault uh, at wetflyswing.com slash bear vault right now to check out this must-have solution for food storage. That's B-E-A-R-V-A-U-L-T. Grant Breidenbeck and Sarah Leichnitz are here from Bear Vault to share their best tips on staying safe while in the backcountry this year. We find out why many parks now are requiring hard-sided food storage as opposed to the old hanging your food stuff up in the trees. This one has a ton of stories and a ton of uh, research and a ton of good information for you to uh, make sure you're staying safe, uh, like I said, all year long. If you have a bear story, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your story right now. You can connect with me on email dave at wetflyswing.com and uh, share it with me and I'll get that if I can get it out on an upcoming episode. So without further ado, here we go. Grant and Sarah from bearvault.com. How's it going, guys? Great. Awesome. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking some time to put this together in your busy schedule. I know you uh, both just got finished with like a launch, uh, some new sizes of the Bear Vault we're going to talk about uh, eventually here. Um, but before we dig into the Bear Vault and you know what it is and what you do out there, I just want to hear a quick snippet maybe from both of you, just how you got into kind of the outdoor you know stuff. Has this been like lifelong or are you kind of new to it? And then, and then how did Bear Vault come to be? So maybe Sarah, you can start us off. Sure thing. Um, I've been outdoors my my whole life. Uh, I have some family that was born and raised in Virginia, and um, I kept driving by those white blazes out uh, along the East Appalachian Mountains and asking my family, what are those? Um, really got into the mountains at a young age. Uh, have a my degree in environmental biology. Very much love to long distance hike. I've through hiked the Appalachian Trail. Colorado Trail spent a lot of time um, all along the East and West Coast, up in Canada, uh, down in Mexico, and um, just really enjoy being outdoors. I got involved with Bear Vault 
because they were looking for someone that could um, create a consumer facing connection. Um, they had been a basically a manufacturing supplier for um, most of the business and they brought me on, but they, they really are committed to making sure that we connect with our users. So they wanted someone who was well-versed in the outdoors had spent a lot of time out there and a big criteria was had experience with bears, which I have had a lot of experience with bears, lots of bear stories uh, in the both the East and West coast. So uh, I fit the bill and I, they brought me on about uh, two years ago now. Amazing. There you go. All right. Yeah. And and Grant, how about you? Yeah. You know, I, I definitely really share in that passion for, for the outdoors. I spend a lot of time um, Alpine mountaineering, backcountry skiing, as well as through hiking and backpacking. Um, you know, earlier in my career, I had a lot of experience with a nonprofit agency, but I was looking for a transition into the outdoor industry, um, which really just resonated with, you know, what I like to do in my free time. Um, and I really just, uh, you know, felt a pull to Bear Vault, um, a company that really uh, is motivated, not just to sell a product, but that has a real mission behind it and is trying to, to really do some good work. And uh, that felt like the, the right step coming from uh, my nonprofit background. So um, I joined on here in the summer of 2021 and it's been an amazing amazing ride so far love that yeah it's so cool i think that the more you know as i get into more of these uh, partnerships and you know we're working together on stuff i find it just i think the the brands you come together with the brands that you are connected with like you guys i mean it's that mission right and i just had we just had uh, patagonia on we talked about some of their products and you know of course their mission is you know, to save our home planet, right? So it's, I, I feel like I'm on the right track when I have you guys on here to other people because, you know, this is a big focus for you, conservation. And we're going to get into that here in a little bit too. And we've actually got a couple of your um, nonprofits that I know you support that are also going to be on the podcast. Um, but let's dig into really quickly in, on Bear Vault. So, you know, Bear Vault, Bear Canisters, I think there's probably some people out there that might not know the need for these things, right? So, so talk about that. What, what is the, what's the need for Bear Vault and, and where, and who is your kind of target? Who is that customer that's using your stuff? Right. So I would say our like focus, focus target is the backcountry hiker or any kind of outdoorsman that spends time in, in the backcountry. Um, essentially the hard-sided bear canisters were created to protect food, outdoor food from wildlife, especially bears. And they were really started to be required because of a problem with actual bears. It it was not just like a great idea. It was uh, trying to mitigate a conflict that was going on between humans and bears in the wilderness. Bears were looking Hmm. for human food. Um, But it's more recently become regulated in various outdoor and wilderness areas. And that's because the problem has been increasing more and more and more. Now, the bridge that we're trying to gap is, um, you know, the the people that are out there, why do they actually need these cans? Because traditionally, a lot of people have been hanging their food. They've slept with their food. Um, They'll just leave it in their backpack overnight or whatnot. But the closeness and the concentration of human activity and actual like wild animals has has gotten even more intense. It's grown and we're in their space and they're in, they're in our space in a way, because we're just trying to be out there enjoying it. And they're, they're um, coming in contact with food and it's created this landslide of uh, just euthanized bears of accidents of um, uh, you know, attacks of very aggressive uh, encounters that have become dangerous. And actually in some areas, the people, the land managers are, are having to come up with 
plans, you know, loaner programs, some kind of mitigation approach to handle these things because they've actually become more and more frequent. So um, Bear Belt's about a 20-year company, uh, definitely can say that the business has grown the more people have gotten outdoors. And then, you know, even with COVID, like it was the next thing for everybody who had never been outdoors to do. So, um, so it's gotten even bigger since then. So we've even seen more and more, uh, you know, trail associations, um, you know, uh, parks, forests, all, you know, nationally that have started to require uh, that you use a hard-sided bear canister if you're camping overnight out in these areas because of bears. And then we have people down in Florida and in other areas that use it for things like um, rodents and, um, you know, really mm-hmm. aggressive raccoons and and <laughs> other animals that are just super, super active in high traffic areas. They've come to learn that they can get some really good food in these areas. So we're kind of handling the the animals. We're handling the, the new users, the people that have just joined the outdoor sport. And we're also working with people that are running the land management and stuff. And so if we have our hands kind of touching a whole bunch of different areas where we're passing education through talking, informing people, trying to get people to raise their awareness on these issues while we're also, you know, running this company. So. Right. Right. That's yeah, that's huge. That's it. So it's basically becoming more of a need now with more. Yeah. COVID got more people out there and there's still the same amount of bears and bears might be increasing too. I'm not even sure. Right. What the what all the, uh, you know, why of the increase, but essentially it's habituation. I think like Grant said, um, earlier is that, um, you know, that's a big part of this. So Sarah, you mentioned a story, like you've been around bears a lot. Maybe we, I wanted to ask some bear stories. So is this a good time to, to get a bear story out there? For uh, something that... <laughs> sure. Um, I, before that, did you want to respond to something that he just said or? Yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, yeah. um, I think something really, really important that you were saying there is, is you know bear habituation and populations on the rise, and I think that is is really the crux of of what you know needs to be understood about the importance of proper food storage. Um, bears can really well be understood as an umbrella species. Uh, when when bears do well, when they thrive, the whole ecosystem thrives. Um, you know, large mammals that are healthy is the sign of an ecosystem that is doing well, right? The fish are doing well. The fly fishing is going to be better when bears are are thriving. And there's a lot of places where where bears are are doing that. Um, you know, especially on the east coast, bear populations are um, are on the rise. And that's exciting to see. And, you know, on the West Coast, um, for instance, the grizzly bear populations, uh, partly through the work of wonderful nonprofits like Yellowstone and Yukon that are working to bridge um, like the Yellowstone, uh, greater Yellowstone ecosystem bears with the Canadian bears, um, bear populations are on the rise. However, naturally, um, when they do that, they're going to um, encounter more people, whether that's in the urban wildland interface in you know, rural communities or even sometimes in more urban communities. But often that's going to be in, in the backcountry, whether that's with um, veteran users or who uh, the folks who are more, more new to the outdoors. They're naturally um, there are going to be humans and bears um, sharing a fixed amount of land. Right. The bear population is increasing and so is the human population. And ultimately, yeah. it's really important that we protect both the humans and the bears. Ultimately, people need to stay safe, right? We don't need people getting hurt by bears, but also we we really believe in protecting bears. They are an amazing species. As I said, 
they are a, a really critical to their ecosystem. So um, if they're not sourcing food from their from their normal uh, you know food sources, if they're accessing human food, um, that's going to disrupt the ecosystem. And, and ultimately, if they are euthanized as a result, that further disrupts um, the ecosystems in which they live. That's best understood through a model known as habituation and food conditioning. So ultimately habituation is, um, is essentially when bears are in the same environment as humans, right? Often that means that um, they are seeing and observing each other on, on the daily, um, or at least frequently. Um, often they're not, not as startled. You know, they still might be a bit skittish, a bit shy, but um, they're not going to be just, you know, that you're not encountering them all. And they're just like, oh, we think they're here. No, you know, that bears are here. And ultimately, we really see that somewhat as inevitable. Um, you know, we think the outdoors are for everyone. We're not saying, hey, you shouldn't recreate in the outdoors. You shouldn't go fly fishing. That's that's not what we're saying. We're saying the outdoors are an amazing place, but bears are going to be there and bear populations in a lot of places are doing pretty well. Um, the, the concern is, is that a bear that is habituated um, has a very easy possibility of becoming food conditioned. It's really primed for, for food conditioning. And that's when a bear that is used to people experiences human food. And suddenly really, really the bear's brain chemistry changes. And it says, wow, those calories were a heck of a lot easier to get. All right. Berries or those grubs I was foraging for, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go for those human calories again. And, and people really write off how bears, how smart bears are. I mean, they are intelligent creatures that say, you know, oh, I see the cord tied to that tree and it goes up to that bag. Oh, well, I'm just yep. bite that cord and drop that bag. <laughs> wow. You know, hundred thousand calories, bingo. Um, huh. And, and really that's, that's when it gets dangerous, right? Is because bears say, well, that's, that's an easy route to food. I'm already pretty comfortable around these humans. And then, and then ultimately a lot of times people will get hurt, right? Cause a bear will um, probably get maybe a little bit more aggressive um, and, and dangerous. And, and ultimately that bear will be euthanized. Yeah. That's and, it. and so, you know, for some people they think it's, oh, it's cute. You know, oh, I'm so sad. The yep. Poor bear. Da, 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 da. Well, ultimately, yeah, your visit is just one, one moment, right? Temporary, but that's, that's that bear's home. And that bear ultimately, ultimately be euthanized and removed from its, its home, um, the wild space where it's naturally belonging. You know, that's a great summary of that and a great take because, you know, we're right now in the prime of, you know, the national parks and people are out and, you know, there's millions of people out there. And, and yeah, I mean, just probably getting a few of them to listen to what you just said there would be a huge help because they probably don't realize that, right? Probably, what is it, people that go in the national parks, even hiking, what would you say percentage-wise people that don't understand that, the habituation food? I mean, they think like, nah, not, not a big deal. Or do you think more people are starting to get that about how bears are dying? You know, I don't have any empirics. Um, I don't have an empirical number, but there definitely, there's people all across the spectrum. There's people that are completely clueless. They might not even yep. know there's bears um, or they just think they're, you know, big, cute, fuzzy puppy dogs. There's people that are, you know, really self-centered and they think that, um, you know, that, that they're bigger than the problem, yep. that they're the human, too cool right. for, for proper food storage, that they'll just um, you know, pull out their firearm right, or, or, or oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And you've got people that are, you know, educated and informed. 
Um, but I think perhaps the best kind of heartbeat on the situation is found in, in really like the land managers and the organizations. And we're seeing a lot of, a lot of momentum right now um, from different, different spaces that are, are increasing um, their legal obligations. Because ultimately, um, well, we see a lot of people doing the right thing and taking canisters into places where they're not legally required. Um, the biggest impact is in places where land managers say, hey, we need you to take this cancer and otherwise there might be um, financial or legal yeah. penalties. Um, so we just saw the desolation wilderness outside of the Lake Tahoe area. It met a hard canister requirement this summer. The Appalachian Trail is now um, recommending that all through hikers or, or all overnight users on the trail are carrying um, food canisters. And um, this is just in addition to, to really dozens of other places yeah. on the U.S. and Canada that are requiring these canisters. Um, and we're seeing seeing real momentum there, um, which I think puts a pulse on, on that people are recognizing that there's a responsibility. The user has a has a responsibility towards bears and that um you know just as you have a responsibility to carry a first aid kit to carry a tent you know so you stay dry you don't get hypothermia you also have a responsibility on the visitor um to to protect bears that's right so they do they require that's an interesting one on the you know the tent and stuff when you're in these backcountry these really highly more regulated or do they require certain other items other than like uh, a food canister like the tent or a sleeping bag not necessarily i'm forgetting at the idea that you know people if you know if you were going into denali national park and you weren't taking say a rain jacket people would say you're absolutely crazy you know you're yeah. you're going to get soaking wet and hypothermia right yeah. and so that same idea of you know you'd be going into um, the desolation wilderness without a bear canister you're crazy. You know, it's, same thing. it's essentially, yeah. you know, getting that same, that same ideology, um, but towards cancers. And we, we see a real momentum there. Yeah. That's been our challenge. That's, that's really been our challenge, which is very interesting because it's, it's brand new. I mean, most of the people that we talk to ranging from people that work in out outfitter stores to people that spend a lot of time in the mountains, they all have a different reaction just like Grant was saying, um, but what what we're really noticing as we work across, like I was said, across the the verticals of like the nonprofits that are trying to you know promote conservation, the people that are just trying to get out there, the people that are trying to sell equipment, the people that are actually trying to protect the land, um, all those different different areas is that food storage in the wild is really actually for real for real becoming a primary conservation initiative for protecting these areas that we all love. So, um, and we're starting to see everybody sort of perk up on that notion, which is really, really encouraging. At the same time, I think that Grant and I would agree that we're behind, we're behind the ball. Um, the, the parks out West, such as like Yosemite um, and those areas, Rocky Mountain that have had the yep. bear canister regulations in place for a while, they are having much, much less of a problem All right. with the parks that have not gotten in front of this. So we see uh, most areas like they're trying to react now instead of proact. And um, 
And so we're trying to be supportive and, and help come alongside with just ideas and, you know, just programs that, that we've helped set up with various different kinds of organizations, honestly, across the nation and um, just be really supportive. But it's not, it's not, we're not making a problem out of nothing. Like it's actually yeah. turning into this yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah. More bears, more bears and more humans yeah. together. And then also, I guess it sounds like the rope, the old thing hanging your, which I've done in the past, you know, hanging your stuff in the tree that that's sure. not really a super effective method really anymore. Yeah. I think we've all, we've all hung at some point in our lives, you know, and, and that really, I think you go back 20, 30 years ago. I think that's, that's what a lot of organizations, you know, outdoor education taught. Um, and, you know, and I think there isn't a case that maybe at a time that was effective. Um, but with the increase in users, bears have gotten smart. Um, you, you know, let's take the desolation wilderness, for instance, that we were, um, that we were talking about a moment ago that recently implemented a canister requirement. Um, when the rangers crunched the data in that area, and this is a, uh, if, if, you know, if you're not familiar with the desolation bonus, it is not a huge area. That's a, okay. um, you know, maybe uh, 10 miles wide by 30 miles long wilderness area. So not, not yeah. a gigantic area, um, but pretty, pretty popular. Um, and bears in this area were bringing down upwards of 10 hangs a night. Each oh, night, wow. 10, 10 hangs that you know, may or may not be hung in a textbook manner. But even if they are um, hung, you know, you know, verbatim, you know, 12 feet up in between two trees, yada, 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 the bears are able to shimmy out across the line, bite through the <laughs> line. They have a variety of, of methods and techniques. But, wow. um, ultimately, um, hanging is no longer effective. The bears um, have adapted and overcome. And so yep. it's it's really time to to step it up and and use something that um, can actually resist the attempts of a bear. Um, like a bear canister. Yeah, bear canister. That's perfect. So, so this is good. And I, I still want to hold those <clears throat> stories here for a little bit. But I, you, you mentioned the conservation groups. I didn't want to miss that as we're going. And I know, you know, I've talked to a few out there, and like Leave No Trace is, is one that you know we had talked about. What are, name a couple of those groups out there that that you've, you know, are kind of doing a good job to support, uh, like what you're talking about, conservation and proper food storage. Who are some of those groups? Yeah, so we work a lot with the long trails in in the organization because it's interesting. We all care about the same the same things. We love to be out there. We love to work alongside of those people, and they have a lot of really good information. They're interacting with users all the time. They're actually in the land. They have people watching and looking, and they know their areas better than anybody. Uh, so we work with the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Pacific Crest okay. Trail. And we've also recently gotten involved with the Colorado Trail. Um, but we also work with organizations like Leave No Trace. Um, and we just kind of work with them in a way where we can keep materials up to date. We can go back to them and tell them the things that we have found out, um, ask them, you know, what their scientists are finding out, how they're educating the public. Uh, one thing that I can just tie back to what we just discussed is uh, when we talk to various land managers and park managers, we find that the biggest problem is with day users. So they, they really don't even think that they're going to have a wildlife encounter that could result in something unexpected. You know, they're thinking, I'm going to see a bear walk by. It's going to be really peaceful. It's no big deal. Yeah. They don't expect that the bear is going to, you know, disrupt their picnic or want their food or something. Right. Just because they don't spend enough time out there, they're not as exposed. They're not hanging out in the outdoor stores or reading the, the newsletters and the magazines at the long trails and, and the areas that have those kinds of regulations are sending out. 
So we work with them. Uh, Leave No Trace has just the most awesome outreach program. They have these teams that drive around, they participate in all kinds of different events to just make contact with people, to raise awareness, to Leave No Trace and the seven principles that they have. We also worked with them to create these specific uh, Leave No Trace suggestions that lean towards food storage and that we created this like pizza pie basically of stickers that fit in the lid of our bear can. And we worked with them to do that. They're also, Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it is. It is cool. Um, and they're located in Boulder. So we get to, you know, talk to them often and we kind of share the same, you know, territory here where we, we just know the battles that we're fighting locally as well to just keep things like protected and safe. And from a wildlife perspective as well. Um, another organization that we brought on recently, Grant had already mentioned, it's called Yellowstone to Yukon. And this organization is specifically trying to acquire land and create, uh, basically, uh, passageways for a grizzly oh, yeah. bear populations to be able to connect like from up in Canada all the way down to Yellowstone so that they can right like going under all the, uh, the highways and roads yeah. and stuff right yeah exactly and they're trying to mix those gene pools because you know as you know with everything if a gene pool isn't like diversified enough it's weak it it dies off easy it's susceptible to disease it it doesn't uh you know stand up well to pressures and stresses of just being alive and being alive right. out in the wilderness um and we've been learning a lot with and with them and also been you know working with them and some other organizations that they do a lot of i would say some work that's probably a couple degrees removed from what we're actually doing where they're talking with farmers and people who own land on the edge of wilderness areas and they're still trying to get people in highly populated areas to understand that you know the more you develop the more you build houses the more uh you know yeah. these kinds of developmental urban areas move in that it, it isolates these populations um and then we also have um we work with various organizations. We've worked with the Indian Peaks Wilderness Association. We've worked with the Wilderness Alliance and we've worked with um, various different, I mean, we've worked with the Humane Society. Oh, wow. Um, I, various people really that are, it's, and it's cool. It's grassroots stuff. It's very community oriented where people mm -hmm. are starting to notice that their ecosystems that are supporting bear populations are being threatened. And so they're bringing in like this, you know, programs where, because the real problem, honestly, if you can keep a bear away from human food, you have cohabitation. But like in the, the Rogue River area, we have uh, someone that just set up a loaner program through a shuttle service um, out there because they're starting to experience more and more incidences. Oh, yeah. They're, they're worried about it. So um, yeah. we worked with them. And, and like I said, there's there's all this grassroots stuff just going on constantly. We work with a lot of different ranger districts. We've been out to talk with people in Yosemite. We've talked to people in Yellowstone. We've talked to obviously people in all the parks all and national forests all along the Appalachian trail. And, um, and we've specifically worked with, uh, a manager in Maroon Colorado, Maroonbell, Snowmass wilderness. Oh, wow. Because she, that's a, that's a mouthful. Yeah, I know. I had to, I had to actually read it. <laughs> right. I was like, wait, I got to say this right. But he <laughs> actually was tasked with like, basically handling that they were having a massive bear issue. 
Um, so, uh, and she put a program together and we talk often and work together, but they were able to decrease their incidences by 98% and bears are still in that area and humans are still camping and, right. and, and participating. So, it. so it runs the gamut, honestly. And, you know, and uh, honestly, we're contacted all the time by people that are, uh, worried about it, that are doing through hikes that are that are a little bit scared maybe too, you know, they're just trying to learn. And so there's a lot of education going on right now. And, um, and then the Appalachian trail grant had brought them up before, but one of their comments is that, you know, because of conservation initiatives, bears are actually moving back into the area, which is really, right. which is really cool. And people are trying to figure out, you know, man, how do we do this? And they, yeah. they're having, they're having a, a lot of incidences and a lot of encounters right now. So, um, so that kind of runs the gamut on the organizations that we work with and the kind of work that we do. Love that. Yeah. That's the education. And that's what we talked when I think Grant and I first got talking on this, you know, education was always a big thing that he kept bringing up and it makes sense because that's, it sounds like a big struggle. And you mentioned the rogue, which I know the rogue very well. I've floated, I've hiked it. I know that area. And, you know, they require, right, there's these bear fences around your stuff and you put your, you know, but again, when you're, when you're backpacking, which was my first trip down there, that you don't have that necessarily. Right. And um, so it, it is a struggle down there. And we've had, when we had a bear one night come into a, one of the rafts, right, and just like ripped out, ripped open a seat. And so that's part of this thing where if you had something like that, then the bears wouldn't actually be able, I mean, what would you recommend? So there's a good, there's a good reminder. So, so we're doing a rogue trip, right? We're down there. We've got our boats. And then we got all this food, um, you know, it could be, you know, kayaking or boating or whatever. But um, do you recommend with the bear vault, actually, where do you put it at night? So when you're out there, do you take it out of your boat, do you take it out of your pack, do you put it like in the middle out somewhere? Absolutely. There's so, you know, and, and river trips kind of add a, a unique element to this, but essentially we believe in something called the food storage triangle. And essentially, you know, and maybe this is a, this is a rectangle because you are on the river. Um, but ultimately you camp, cook and store your food in, in three different places that are all about 70 paces away. Um, so you can imagine that, you know, hundred to 200 feet in each leg of this triangle. And so, you know, you cook one area and there's certain odors and smells and, you know, maybe even, you know, you do your best, but, you know, there might even be some, you know, micro particles of food or whatever that, that get dropped. Um, and that's yeah. one area. And then when you're finished cooking, you know, all of your food scraps and your trash go back in the canisters, right. And you move those 200 feet away. You know, often you want to find a nice little nook and cranny to put it in. If you buy water, it's important that the bear can't knock it into water, um, especially when you have all your food in there. A bear canister likely will sink, right? So you don't want to prop it on a rock, you know, over a cliff next to the water. That's that's probably not a good idea. So you know, maybe yeah. move it 200 feet, you know, kind of, you know, down a hill and um, around a corner um, and kind of nestle it maybe in a bush or against a rock or between a log in a spot that it hopefully if a bear plays with it, um, that it won't roll too far. Away. Kick it around. And then the last yeah. leg of the triangle is essentially where you sleep, right? Where you camp or, you know, which is where you're hanging out or hammocking or um, hanging out by the boats, whatever, whatever you are up to, that's kind of the third and final leg of the triangle another 70 paces or hundred to 200 feet away. 
With that said, though, um, the best thing to do if you are willing is to give the the rangers or the land manager offices a call <laughs> before you head out there. Those guys really know what's going on in their areas, and there are slight variations to that that triangle method that we have found based on where you're camping, at least across the United States and Canada. So it's a really, really good idea to do just a hair of research and talking to one of these people, even stopping into, you know, the office before you head out. If, if you manage to be picking up a permit or something like that is super, super helpful because I, I don't care where I am. They tell me something little that I'm like, wow, I just learned something. I didn't know that. So we always encourage people to check in with the local just knowledge bases of the people that live there and that work there and that that are in that area all the time, because there's there's something different about a bear in every area of this country. It would blow your mind. So that's it. (laughs) I love that. I love that you said that because that's such a good advice for any trip, whether you're doing a you know, fishing, hunting, hiking, whatever it is, it's always good to check in with your local, whatever local shop. Totally. And some of the best conversations I've ever had with those people. I mean, they are just so interesting and they care so much and they're very helpful. That's great. Well, I'm, I'm, I was going to do a little segment, uh, like a trail talk here towards the end. And I was going to ask some tips and tricks, but that's a really good one that, you know, we should have in there for some like just hiking and and camping and stuff like that. But, um, so this has been good. I think we, and I love the, uh, the triangle. That's really awesome. That that's a, gives us a good picture to be like, you know, because I think a lot of people, I don't think about that as much. I mean, of course I think about it, but I don't think like, well, okay, we're cooking here. Yeah. You do want to be a certain distance away from that when you're, where you're sleeping. Right. And maybe that's not always easy too. some of these trips, you might be kind of constrained, right? If you're out, I don't even know, right? Bouldering or out in areas where maybe the camping isn't great. Have you found that grant when you're out there doing some of your, your travels that you find a place that you can't really get a good like 100, 200 feet distance, or is that pretty easy to do? Absolutely. Yeah. And, oh, and you know, and one of the biggest things I found, right, is sometimes you're in an area that's really busy, you know, not, I love, you know, it's, it's great sometimes to imagine you're in this like untouched, pristine wilderness, but often you have neighbors, you know, and then it gets complicated, yeah. right? Well, how does your triangle interact right. with your triangle? And what if they're not doing their triangle? What if your neighbors don't even know what a triangle is, right? Exactly. Yeah. And suddenly it gets so complicated. And really at the end of the day, you know, use your best judgment, you know, do your best. And, and as long as you are getting in touch with the local rangers um, and using the canister at a bare minimum, uh, right. going in the right direction. So yeah. ultimately it's, it's about doing, doing your best. I can think of, of an area I was in, in the wind river range mm. and, you know, and, and I had this idea that this area was going to be, you know, totally deserted. There wasn't going to be another party camped here. And sure enough, I show up and, you know, there's probably over this small lake, you know, a couple acre area, there's, you know, maybe 50 to a hundred different parties camp here, just tent after tent after tent. Um, Cause that area is not permitted and, um, and it's, it's just over on people. And I remember just kind of feeling a little paralyzed. I'm like, ah, oh, shoot, where do I cook? Where do I, you know, where do I place my canister? Ah, da, da, da. But ultimately, you know, just recognized that um, at least it was in the canister and, you know, it might not be the perfect distance, but, but as long as the bear um, comes along, the food will be properly stored ultimately. There you go. Uh, and you mentioned the wind. I think this is the same, the Wind River Range. We just did an episode with uh, 
couple episodes where that came up. I think Indy Fly talked about that and some of these conservation groups. Were, was this on the like the Native American indigenous uh, uh, area? I know they have a big chunk, like two million acres out in, in the Wind River. This was on the western side of the Continental Divide, um, which I think sometimes actually sees even a little bit more traffic than the uh, than the tribal land because um, just the access tends to be a little bit easier and sometimes a little more affordable. Um, but I think throughout that wilderness area, it's a recurring challenge. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Perfect. So, so let's touch just uh, quickly. I wanted to go in, you know, we've been talking here, um, you know, I've been working with you guys here for, you know, this summer and we've had these two products I've been talking about, which are, um, you know, kind of one large, one small, and uh, but you've added a couple more. I know the Sprint is one of them. Talk about the two new sizes that you offered and why you came up with those, uh, why the two new sizes. Yeah, so um, we offered up the new two new sizes because uh, traditionally we had a pretty a pretty big can, which is everyone's favorite so far. It's it carries a lot of of food and it's great for through hiking. Yeah. Um, but, it's the best stool too, right? Yeah, the best size for a stool. It's a good stool for sure. Um, yeah. But what we were really aiming for is a can for every pack, every trip, and every hiker. And where we came out with that was through our discussions with our partners, really talking about if anybody's actually going to participate in this, because the the land managers have been doing so much work, like putting huge metal bear boxes out there, you know, actually like building bear hang poles out of, you know, their like structures that they assemble, you know, out there, like, so that it's, it's better than a tree or whatever. But what it really came down to throughout the years of research is that until each individual person takes responsibility for how they're storing their food in the wilderness, they really don't like engage and participate and connect to it. And in that they were leaving those metal bear boxes unlocked. They were just leaving their trash in there and still sleeping with their food, you know, for all kinds of different reasons. It just wasn't, it still wasn't something that they were taking ownership of. And our traditional cans, while very effective, and they're all the all of our cans have the same mechanism. They all lock open and lock the same way. They're all the same diameter. We just wanted to create different volume sizes for different usage occasions and for different sizes of hikers, like um, you know, kids groups and younger people or smaller backpackers, also smaller backpacks. There's a huge right. ultra light movement that uh has really redefined a lot of the way that people are packing and how they're actually hiking hikes and all, all the people out on the trail, they have their own reasons for being out there, but we really wanted to be able to fit into each one of those because depending on some, whatever your priority is and why you're out on the trail, that always drives your behavior out there. Right. So it's like, if I'm an ultralight packer, then I'm pushing against adding weight to my pack and a bear canister adds weight to your pack, you know? So, right. so it's all kinds of different priorities that we're trying to, to work together to resolve and say, Hey, can we meet in the middle? And can we rethink the way that everyone's packing to include food storage as a primary conservation initiative? Yeah. The other thing is, is day users. So oh, yeah. the day users are, and, and it's interesting because not only are they they're, you know, they're the ones that are the least educated, but they're also the hardest to reach. Like I said, they're not 
they're not reading outdoor magazines. They're not listening to outdoor podcasts. They're not hanging out in the outfitter stores. Like a lot of us are, you know, talking to one another or like super excited to go in and talk to the Rangers and the wildlife biologists and just see what's going on on the map and stuff like that. So they're just showing up. And, and again, if we can't emphasize anything enough today, if a bear comes in contact with human food, once it is done, like something Mm. basically changes the brain. It can't be undone. You can't reason with it and say, you don't understand, like, this isn't going to be good for you. It's just, it's a, it's a very, very difficult thing to reverse and almost basically impossible. So, um, and, and this is tragic. I mean, even in Yosemite, they had more uh, bear euthanizations this past year than they have in 20 years. And that was just like a tragic, tragic thing for them to go through, for them to have to execute and just for them to have to come to contact with. And they said, the issue is the day visitors. It's the day visitor. Yeah. And so, um, and our sprint is something that we feel like people can, you know, it's palatable. They can connect with it. And they can like see it being in their life versus like a, a huge big can that they're like, I don't understand why I would take that. Um, it's, it's also something that there's things about bear cans that like we need to tell people, like one of the things we haven't said yet is you always keep it closed. So, like no matter whether you're cooking or whatever, you never leave the lid off. And we've, we have seen it all, Dave. I mean, like we've seen mm. bears come <laughs> up and snatch entire backpacks and just take off with them because the bear, yeah. in it. we've seen that, bears yeah. <laughs> charge people that have the lid off, you know, and just sit there and just oh, wow. dump all the food out of their cans and eat all the food while the person is standing like 20 feet away, watching the whole Crazy. thing go down. Right. So, so it's like one of the big things is you just keep the lid on. So it's it's not even sometimes about the the fact that you're in the wilderness with this wild animal, but that they just need a little bit of a deterrent where they just can't put their their mouth yeah. on that food. So they can't get it. Yeah. So these four sizes are are, are for that purpose. That video you sent, uh, I watched like two minute video of the bear trying to trying to get into that. Yeah, I'm not sure where that bear was, but it was pretty crazy because he was trying. You oh, know, yeah. he was opening up his mouth wide, and he just he couldn't figure it out. And for the most part, it's almost like a like a criminal breaking into a car, right? You, you know, like like if you got the club on or something like that, it distracts him. He's going to go to some other camp. Is that kind of the way these bears are? are they. You know, they, I mean, like the bear vault, it seems like, cause it's not a complete sealed up um, container, right? You can actually smell through it. And, and why describe that, describe on the smell. So you can, you can smell through it, but it's protected. So you want the bears to actually understand it's there, but no, they can't get it. Yeah. A couple things to that. Um, first and foremost, I would recommend everybody go uh, give that video a watch. You can find it on our website that was filmed um, in Wisconsin at a wildlife sanctuary. I was about 10 feet away from that bear um, taking that video. And it is really incredible. Um, The bears have a lot of personality. Um, Every bear has a slightly different technique and tactic that it tries in uh, rather um, unsuccessfully, but it, um, they always try and try very hard and they'll um, ultimately the canister is designed very intentionally. Every little, ridge or lip or shape um, is ultimately around a bear's um, size of its jaw, the shape of its oh, teeth, wow. um, the shape of its claws. Um, and it, it might just look like a plastic cylinder to, to you or I, but um, once you've, you've kind of seen the, the inner workings of the design and you've seen uh, the ones that have been through the ringer uh, that have been tested prototypes, all these things, 
you realize that um, every little every little groove is intentional. Um, but but seeing those bears up close, I really got a sense for the emotion on these bears. You know, there's this one bear. His name was Moon, and and he was very kind of you know brute force. He'd run up and scratch as quickly as he could and whack it like a big soccer ball, whack it back like a big soccer ball. <laughs> there's another bear, much smaller. Her name was Sunny. And she would come up much slower, sniff it, back off, come in, come out. And then, and then she'd just very quickly kind of move around, not even really trying to get in, but just kind of analyze. She'd look at it. Bears have amazing eyesight. And look at it and then would sniff all around, would kind of poke and prod, try to see if there's a thin spot or, or somewhere else, and then kind of hone in on one spot and try that. Now, still unsuccessfully, because as soon as she would, you know, find a spot that maybe is thinner, um, you know, and, and maybe might technically be a weaker spot. Still couldn't get any grip because the cancer is designed to be slippery. So as soon yeah. as Sunny would put pressure in a spot, it would just slide out of her jaw or her paw and she wouldn't be able to get any, any grasp on that spot in the cancer. It's amazing to watch these bears um, and the unique tactics they try. And yes, to your question, they are not, um, they are not scent proof, so to speak. We've experimented around with different um, sealing mechanisms. And ultimately we found that sealing the canister is a really good way to get it stuck. There's enough air volume within a bear canister oh, right. that when you change uh, temperature and pressure, that amount of yeah. volume can expand a lot, which puts a incredible amount of pressure on a seal. And that's a good way right. to get locked out of, out of your food and, and be human proof, not just bear resistant. <laughs> Um, and so ultimately, yeah, the bears can smell it. Even if there was a seal, chances are bears would smell it. Their, their noses are incredible. So if you take the, the surface area inside, let's say your nose, Dave, or, yeah. or the average yeah. human, it's about the size of a postage stamp. Okay. So imagine that, visualize that, right? Postage yep. stamp. Take a bloodhound dog, right? Something that, you know, I think we think of as, as really amazing sense of smell. Yep. Surface area inside that nose is going to be about the size of a sheet of printer paper. Okay. Huh. How big do you think the, the nose of uh, surface area inside the nose of your average black bear is? This is good. So the, the, the paper seems amazing. That could be that huge. Um, yeah. I mean, just a random guess would be the, the size of a, like a poster. Yeah. You're, you're pretty much right there. It's about four sheets of printer paper. Yeah. Um, which is, is incredible. I mean, every mammal, um, has a portion of their brain dedicated to processing scent known as the olfactory bulb. And, you know, we have it, we have, you have an olfactory bulb. I have an olfactory bulb. Sarah has an olfactory bulb, but the bear has an olfactory bulb bigger than all three of us combined. I mean, they have a massive portion of their brain dedicated to processing and interpreting sense. Um, and so ultimately you could try and try and try to make something scent proof, but there's really no such thing when it comes to a bear. So instead you have to recognize that the bear um, is going to be able to smell it. And A, even if they can't smell it, they know that you've, you're probably camping there because they can hear you. They can see you. They know that people enjoy camping there, right? Bears are not stupid. And so yeah. um, the bear will come up and instead we focused on um, outsmarting the bear and ultimately making the bear bored. We find that the bears play with it for five, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then they say, oh, well, this is, this is really boring. And this is a lot of work. I'm, I'm exerting a lot of calories with no food reward. You know, actually the grubs under that log weren't so hard after all. I should go, um, go back to that natural food source. And ultimately it deters the bear in that manner. Yeah. 
That's great. And I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, as the, the, the triangle, you know, where you put your thing, would it be helpful to have some sort of like a, a latch on or to keep the bear, you know, if the bear does is messing with it so he doesn't kick it down the hill, like a, I don't know what the word would be, but some sort of a, do people do that at all? Do they try to tie it down or is it better just to leave it kind of out tucked in somewhere? Like you said, we really, really discourage tying anything to it. We get that question a lot. And, and ultimately um, it actually would work the exact opposite. Um, the bear would use that to just carry it off. It would, you know, oh, right. grab yeah, a hold exactly. of it and just walk away and you'll probably never <laughs> yeah, see that canister right. again. They're like that. The bears are smarter than me. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> so they'll, they'll play soccer with it. You know, I've seen it moved maybe 20 yards in, in any direction, right? Cause they, they can okay. paw it around. That's yeah. why it's great to find a little hollow or a spot between some logs yeah. that kind of corral the canister. Um, but you know, ultimately they'll, they'll roll around with it and kind of, you know, grip it or, or toss it. You know, it's amazing about this. The one thing you probably saw this grant doing your stuff, but I would think that one thing the bears could do is just come up and do like a body slam on it and just crack that. you right. I mean, like they with try. their force, but they try, yeah, they do. We call it them doing the CPR. Oh, right. You know, and we've seen, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they'll get on it and they'll jump on it and they'll throw it and toss it. Like that's the grizzly bears favorite attempt. That's like what they try and try again. Oh, they do. So yeah. they try to bite. And the thing is with your, cause your canister isn't, um, I mean, it's super tough, but it's not like a, a hard, heavy piece of plastic. I mean, it feels like it kind of, you can push it right a little bit. It's not that's, necessarily a, yeah. That's key is right. Is So we have this proprietary blend of polycarbonate in there that has a, a very distinct amount of flex to it so that essentially it doesn't, doesn't shatter. Now, I mean, if you huck it off a cliff, fully loaded. Yeah, it probably is going to shatter, but with the, there's only so much force that even, you know, a 1500 pound, um, you know, coastal, coastal brown bear in Alaska can exert and the cancer is designed to deflect and, and basically um, disperse that force throughout the shape of it, right around the, around the circle. Um, and it's got these different ribs in it to essentially help um, kind of brace that, that force. Um, but ultimately it won't crack, um, because it's, it's flexing and dispersing that, that force um, throughout the canister. Gotcha. Okay. And I was just also kind of, you mentioned the polycarbonate and I've mentioned that, you know, a number of times about that's the durability. I'm curious on more of the conservation because we talked and this came up in that episode we did with Patagonia, um, where uh, Ted was talking about the, um, he kind of brought up the monster in my closet video. I, I hadn't even heard of it, but it was this video I think they did that talked about clothing mm-hmm. and all the, oh, yeah. I don't know what, right. All the, the, like, go look at your clothing, how much is not made out of organic and all that, the impacts from the, um, essentially from the, the, these big industries, right? Like, right. Uh, so I'm curious on yours, I'm sure this is a different deal, but do you look at those materials? I mean, is this a lifelong product? Is, is your product something where once somebody buys it, they pretty much have it forever and then talk about that. And then what's it, what's it made out of? Is that, where's that come from? Absolutely. We are really focused on durability um, because ultimately, yeah, I don't think there's any, any way around it. The canister is made out of uh, plastics, right? It is, it is uh, a petrochemical blend and there's no, there's no way around that. Right. So instead we focused on really, um, making it right. We focused on sourcing the canister in the United States, um, so that we have ethical supply chains for the plastic resins. Um, we've really worked to cut down on our trucking and our shipping. Um, I mean, really we've looked at our carbon footprint at every level 
We tried to um, do our best to, to trim out inefficiencies in packaging, um, in our processing, um, in our uh, distribution to the end consumer. Um, and then ultimately, yeah, it's a plastic product. There are certain parts and pieces of that equation that we cannot get around. And so what we've done is we've gone and offsetted those emissions. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of debate around um, what makes a good offset. So we've worked um, with some companies to find um, some projects in, uh, especially in Alaska around uh, preserving habitat for grizzly bears in these old growth forests. And so we are actively working to, um, to conserve um, this land in Alaska and Canada um, that is, is really rich uh, old growth forest grizzly bear habitat. Wow. And, and Dave as well, just to, I, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but this can has to pass a certification test. Oh, okay. So this is not just a good idea that we had and we're like, hey, if you think you want to maybe try to be have a bear resistant can out there, uh, check us out. Like we go through an organization, it's called the IGBC, the Interagency Grizzly Bear Committee to get it actually certified to be bear resistant. So, and, and every, and I mean, they, they're testing coolers and huge trash cans. And I mean, they run all these tests there. They've wheeled cars in there and put, you know, peanut butter in the driver's seat and, you know, testing how, how much a bear can lift up with one paw, you know, it's, it's, it's a fascinating place and a fascinating organization with a lot of really good people that care a lot about uh, doing the right thing for our wilderness areas and our wildlife, but the, the can has to, be able to stand up to something as strong and creative and as basically uncontrollable as, you know, a thousand pound bear, which is, there you go. Is, is like so different than a crash test dummy in a car, you know, like you kind of throw <laughs> it in there and just watch, you know, you don't have any control over what's going to happen. So um, yeah. that's a part of the materials that we have to pick and choose as well. Gotcha. So this is something where, you know, you, you have one of these and pretty much, yeah, you're going to have this thing forever and it's not something that you have to really replace. It's just, it's, it's there. And that, that, that's part of the, yeah, the carbon footprint, like you, you mentioned. And like I said, on the other, you know, that Patagonia episode is the same thing. Like, how do we get people to use stuff just longer so we don't dispose of it? Right. Like right. a lot of people do. So I, that's great to hear. Right. And that's, what's helpful about the loaner programs that we help set up because, you know, people, people that are only really going outdoors for their epic outdoor experience trip, maybe five times in their year, they can, they can borrow one, you know, it's like, how how does it explain that? I think I might've just a little detail on the loaner. How's that work? So a lot of these organizations and places, they'll just, they'll rent them out. There's outfitters that rent them out. And then there's just like visitor centers that just give them out. You can borrow borrow them. The Appalachian Trail, we've worked with them to set up an entire loaner program along the entire trail where they could just go and check one out basically. Yeah, see that. That seems like a great thing, right? Because now you come to a thing where now people, especially in these places like you're talking, national parks, really busy mm-hmm. that, I mean, sometimes people aren't going to buy something, but if you can actually say, hey, here it is, you know, right. just take it. That seems like a real good uh, solution. Right. And it's funny because uh, Grant and I were just out there for Appalachian Trail Days and there's 19,000 black bears in the state of Virginia. Wow. And, and we were just driving down the Blue Ridge Parkway and one ran right across the road and we were like, dumb luck. I can't even believe that just happened. You know, no I kidding. Mean, like, I mean, we, we were just like, they're everywhere, <laughs> you know, and it's, and, wow. and so, and people don't get that, but there are, you know, definitely 
around, um, you know, 10,000 birds euthanized a year because they come in contact with human food. And it's just, I mean, it's just helpful if someone's going to be out there three or four times in their whole life, if they can just borrow one. So the Appalachian trail has been very, very, I would say they've kind of blazed the trail haha, on that. Yeah. Um, really uh, trying to make food storage very, very accessible to people. So they're not rolling the dice because again, it, it, and it's so funny, Grant and I say this all the time. It's no big deal until it happens. Like yeah. everyone's like, I've never needed a bear canister. I've never no. seen a bear. And it's like, but the minute it happens and we interview these people all the time, they, it's not a great experience. Like stuck in my tent for five hours while the oh. bear was like tearing my bear bag down out of the tree and then tearing it apart, went and Jeez. got its cubs and blah, 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 blah. You know, like it's not a great experience. That's and scary. then the, the poor guy who's camping there the next night has to deal with the bear coming back and being like, well, man, this is a major score for me last night. Right. I'm coming back. Wow. So ultimately, wow. ultimately, Dave, you know, we think the outdoors, it should be a magical place to experience, you know, going fly fishing should be, you know, a fun experience, a way to connect with this amazing, amazing creation of, of earth. And we, um, we think that interactions with bears should be positive, um, exciting, interesting, um, but ultimately healthy and safe. And, um, and whether that's, you know, while out fly fishing, backpacking, rock climbing, whatever, however you get outside, um, we really believe that, um, you know, food storage is, is a critical tool um, in, the, in the overall tool belt of protecting bears and, uh, and conserving these wild spaces. That's well said. So, so let's take it out of here. Um, a little segment these are, this is the kind of a new segment, the trail talk, but I'm just get to think you mentioned a few things you both love the outdoors. You've been doing it your whole life. It sounds like for the most part, think of the one outdoor activity that maybe you have coming up here, your next trip, maybe your next big trip where you're going to be using the bear vault, um, and talk about that, or maybe something that maybe it's not right away, but just a big trip. Cause I think I know we're, we got some things coming, you know, coming up and I'm going to be traveling. I'm like, yep, this is going to be definitely a place that I'm going to need that. Does, do you guys have anything on top, uh, any trips coming up for you? Well, one thing that I'm looking at that, um, still kind of researching and trying to figure out if the bear vault, um, will be the, the right tools. I'm planning out a backpacking expedition in, uh, Patagonia and there's not oh, wow. as much bear activity down there, but they have a lot of, um, of essentially mountain lions down there and, and really, um, and I, so I've been looking and seeing whether or not, um, the bear ball will be really, um, the right tool to, to protect my food, um, and the, the local population of mountain lions in Patagonia. Wow. Oh, I didn't even realize that's pretty amazing there. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Maybe we just quickly go on that. So, other animals, you know, I, we, I've talked about this before, we've covered this, but uh, other than bears, mountain lions, potentially, is it just, you know, little critters? Like what other animals should people be thinking about where the bear vault might come in handy? Yeah. I mean, really, really any animals, um, you know, they, you know, they might not be on the surface seem like as much of a threat to your you know, health and human safety, but they can be. For instance, I was um, backpacking in the Grand Canyon um, this past winter and, you know, and occasionally there's some bears seen up, um, especially on the north rim of the canyon, but they're not generally not seen below the rim. However, I absolutely carried it because there's um, quite a few different rodents, uh, rodents, um, the crows there, especially, or the raven. Oh, right. 
are really intense. They actually have this really cool species um, known as the ringtail that's um, endemic to that area. Um, but especially the rodents in the desert Southwest are known for carrying um, hantavirus and the bubonic plague. Oh, yeah. And frankly, Gosh. I don't want either of those. And so um, putting mm-hmm. the putting the food in the cans is great. And yeah, the plastic, you know, might be a little thick and a little overkill for, for a mouse, but um, I'd rather be a little overkill and not catch the oh, yeah. plague. I've had that happen to me. I mean, that's thing in my truck. It's kind of crazy to think, right? I mean, I've I've had mice build, you know, nests on the distributor cap in the engine, but I mean, I've had them tear through, literally eat through clothing because I left a cliff bar in a pocket, right? And that's that kind of sucks to think that, you know, that <laughs> occasionally that's happened. But again, if I would have had that case, which I do now, right? I've got a pack in my back. It's just sitting there full of like bars and stuff. And it's just like, no worries. Yeah, another application is just high traffic areas. I mean, again, the more people that are there, the higher the percentage that the animals have uh, been fed, um, have for fun or oh, yeah. pictures or whatever. And I mean, around, you know, the Rocky Mountains and up, up along the Continental Divide, there's lots of marmots and they're big and, you know, they're getting more and more aggressive and stuff that's yeah. come. And, you know, it's not always like they're trying to hurt you, but they'll, they'll dig around in your backpack. If you're walking down the hill to go take a picture or whatever, you know, oh, yeah. go get some water. Like I've come back and had, you know, caught them in the act or whatever. But the thing that really stinks is when your food supply is gone or has been eaten right. by some kind God. of an animal, you're X number of miles out into the wilderness. And you're like, well, should I go back? That's it. Should I wing it? Should I try to borrow some food? Should I hope someone comes along? Whatever. So um, it's just kind of like trip insurance. And, and again, like if you're in a high traffic area, like some of the worst places that we see have like the most people in them. And that's when, if you're the guy that has your food in the can, like, you don't want to say, you know, someone else's food is going to be the thing that gets offered up, but, but it's a great place to start, you know, changing that behavior because that's where the bears and, and any animal squirrels, like rats, everything are trained to come back because they know that's where they're going to get the food reward. Yeah. Even, even moose, uh, on, uh, just this past Saturday, I, uh, I was backpacking in Colorado and, uh, I was taking a nap during a thunderstorm and I woke up to the sound of, of munching and <laughs> what is, what is that? And I sure enough, and there was a, there was a moose checking out my bear canister. Um, and it was munching on some bushes nearby, but then it sniffed my bear canister. I'm like, well, you know, I'm really glad that moose is not also not becoming food conditioned and is, you know, is sticking to its, its natural, natural food sources. Um, and ultimately, you know, I didn't have to go, you know, if my food was in a bag, I'd feel like, oh, maybe I have to run over there and grab it and, you know, potentially have this really dangerous encounter with this giant bull moose. But instead I just knew it was in the canister and everything was going to be fine. No problem. No problem. Yeah, that's what so we say, right? Keep your uh, your next trip epic and and safe, right? That's the whole thing. Is like, how do you not walk out after losing your food? That's the whole idea here. Have a great trip in the backcountry this Absolutely. year. Absolutely, that's what we're all about. Keeping your adventure going. So, Sarah, so give us yours. So, wrap it up. Do you have any trips coming up here where you're going to be out there um, potentially using the bear vault or anything? You want to give a highlight on? I'm actually looking to go over to France for a little bit to get oh, wow. the mountains over there. I'm, I'm working it out with a friend. Um, but I'm, I'm honestly, my entire approach to outdoor adventure and I love to be in the back country. I really, really want to do the wonderland trail, um, and the Pacific Northwest trail, which has tons of bear activity on it. And is really 
got a lot of activity with one of our partners, uh, Yellowstone to Yukon going on there. There's really cool stories about grizzly bear populations that are growing, that are thriving and the females are starting to travel and move and create, uh, you know, expansions in their territories. So, um, I have been terrified of bears my whole life. I've literally read every single bear book. I don't know what got into <laughs> bears and avalanches. I was just, I read every single book oh, I could yeah. get my hands on. And, yeah. um, and so I've always been fascinated by them and, but also respected them quite a bit, but this whole idea of, um, changing the way that you handle food in the wilderness and changing the way that you pack has honestly become very, an emotional thing for me. And I, it's something that I want to practice no matter where I'm going. Um, we live right at the foot of Rocky mountain national park, basically. So we're in the mountains all the time and yeah. wildlife all the time. And even up here on the flat irons, there's a whole population of bear, brown bear or black, not brown bears, black bears up there that are caramel colored <laughs> um, <laughs> and actually quite large, um, but uh, that are really cool. So we see those guys all the time around here and I get it. I, I get it now. It's not just like this novelty of, oh God, there's a bear, you know, it's like they live here too. So it's really started to become part of my ethos. Gotcha. Wow, that's that is that's that's pretty powerful as well. So, so yeah, you're right in it. I mean, you guys and you guys are traveling around the world, and uh, and there's probably going to be some. Do you look at that when you look at other opportunities? I mean, obviously the U.S. has a lot of these, the stuff you've talked about. But when you look around the world, do you also see um, a, a pretty big need? And is that something you're trying to serve as you look out? We have focused mostly on North America. Um, but there definitely are, um, you know, bear populations, especially in like Northern Europe. Um, and, and as you kind of head, um, East from there, but that's something we haven't explored as much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're really worried about our, uh, we feel like our, our beautiful like areas here are pretty precious and pretty limited, you know? And so yeah. we're really, and, and we're fighting pretty hard for those places. We've been to these parks like this year, this summer, you know, we've been all over the country visiting these places and, uh, you know, it's very, very clear that if we don't make a concerted effort to, uh, look at it from a bigger picture perspective, that they're going to continue to sort of, just move away from the things that they've been in the past. Uh, I was just in uh, Yosemite and there, I, I just hiked up Yosemite Falls trail and there's graffiti on the rocks oh, the whole way up. God. I mean, tags like spray painted tags. And that's been in the news. That's nothing Damn. new, but it's just like, I'm like, yeah. man, like so we are missing something here. You know? <laughs> so, I know. I know. So it's a very, very beautiful place, you know, and it's like, I don't understand what people aren't understanding, but everyone's yeah. got to be on the same page. And then and no, along that. the East Coast, too, they've had uh, vandalism on the Appalachian Trail on the trees. People have been tagging the trees with their mileage and social media, of course, just makes the whole thing more accessible and bigger. And, yeah. you know, you can get more attention. So it's like it's got a, a mindset needs to change. And um, so we've definitely focused on the North American area, Canada, the United States, um, to try to protect what we feel like we're responsible for first, but tons of European people come over and hike in the Sierras and they take right. their bear vaults home with them, you know, and, um, and we hear from them all the time. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the message. I think that you guys are doing a good job. It sounds like 
working with the local groups, the you know those groups, and getting the word out. That's you know starting locally and building out is probably the best way to do it. And yeah, yeah. I was kind of thinking. You mentioned we were talking slogans, and I'm trying to think now. The slogan from, um, you know, what do you guys have a bear? What do you, I'm not even sure if you kind of have that one liner thing for Bear Vault. Yeah, it's that we keep adventure going. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bear Vault keeps adventure going. Basically, your trip doesn't get ruined. Your food doesn't get stolen. Your tent doesn't get ripped open. Your gear doesn't get smashed. Yep. You don't kill a bear. A bear doesn't, you know, hurt or injure you. And um, it's all good. You get to come home and go back out there as soon as possible. <laughs> your trip's not going to end uh, short on because of a bear. So this is good. Well, anything else? Did we miss anything? I mean, I know we kind of, uh, we touched on any, on the product wise, everything that you want to highlight anything else before we get out of here? think so. I mean, as you can probably tell, Grant and I can always have another thing to talk about, but we really, really appreciate you giving us a forum to talk to, you know, serious outdoors people about these yeah. kinds of issues. And we would love to talk to anybody like on an individual basis, on a, on a organization basis. Uh, we're very, very much into uh, food storage in the wild being a primary conservation issue. And we're all about conservation here at Bear Vault. So love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, I'll let you get out of here and uh, and we'll be in touch, of uh, course, moving ahead. But uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time today to to give us some uh, educate us right on the, uh, you know, the challenges out there. And I think that it sounds like from what I heard today, the challenges maybe aren't going to get easier right in the short term because we're going to have more people out there probably and more bears as the conservation movements keep building larger populations. So that's a good thing. But as long as we have a good solution, uh, I appreciate uh, you, you both for coming on. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks thank you for so having much. us, Dave. So there you go. Just like the highly powerful 357 Magnum, this show often packs a punch, powerful and more powerful than you would think. And it's a direct result of the amazing guests we've had on the show. If you have an idea for a upcoming guest, uh, please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com. would love to hear from you. Quick listener shout out. Jim Chatrian, Chatrian, Jim, um, I forget, I always forget if I'm pronouncing that uh, terribly, but uh, Jim, want to give you a shout out, uh, recently connected uh, on email and shared a story of uh, listening to episode 355 uh, with Molly Simpkins, uh, heard that episode and he was actually up in the area, so he stopped by the Sweetwater shop, connected with Molly, so Jim, thanks for doing that and sharing that story, I really appreciate you. Uh, checking in. If you have a local fly shop, uh, we'd love to hear from you and uh, we'd love for you to go in your shop, give a shout out to the show and uh, and check in with them. And if we can, we'll work on touching base there and maybe putting together an episode. That's all I got. I'm going to get out of here, send this over to Dom and let him take this one away. Uh, appreciate you for hanging in with me today, tonight, uh, and, uh, and, and definitely look forward to connecting with you soon. Please, please, if you can, check in with me anytime and uh and i hope to maybe catch you on one of these upcoming trips we've got a big one coming here we got the uh the great the great 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 lake steelhead school coming up if you haven't uh, uh if, well actually you can hear the episode i had jeff Liskey. he's going to be our teacher and mentor at the steelhead school uh this fall kind of winter and if you want to up your spay game whether you're a beginner or advanced, uh, this is the crew. We are going to get this dialed in, and you're going to get a great chance at catching a steelhead. This is going to be an epic trip. 
the Great Lakes Steelhead School. More than a trip. This is going to be a good time. So if you want to connect with me, I'm going to be there. Would love to see you in person. You can go to wetflyswing.com slash steelheadschool. That's where it's going to be. And, uh, and you can find out more information right there. Okay. Hope you are having a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. And I hope to see you very soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.